Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for um, the variety of senses that you have given to us that allow us to experience this world or that we can see the beauty of nature, that we can hear uh, beautiful music and conversation, or that we can feel the breeze blowing across our face, or that we can enjoy delicious food and smells of uh, flowers as they bloom. Or we also thank you for the ways that these are often used as warnings. God, we pray that you'd help us not to take our senses for granted, to appreciate the purposes which you've given them, and to pay attention to the warnings they give and the confirmations they give of the world around us. Lord, help us to know how to make sense of what they're telling us. Help us to make good and wise decisions. Lord, we also thank you for your word that you've given to us to help us to make sense of what our senses are telling us. So, Lord, we pray that as we hear your word this morning, read and proclaimed, that you would give us ears to hear. That you give us ears to hear what you are saying. That you would help us to know what to do uh, with the word that you have spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. And this is uh, at, the, at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He has just been baptized, and then he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the devil. And then he comes back, and here's what we find out when he's back. This is Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. It says, After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Turning then to 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, our New Testament reading. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Uh, well, as I was mentioning our senses a little bit ago, that's actually where we're going to begin. We're going to begin this morning with uh, our senses of sight and of hearing by reading and listening to uh, the Word of God. And a lot of times you want to you know, start a particular uh, sermon or passage by telling a story that kind of gets you into what we're talking about. I'm not going to do that, and here's why. This story is gripping enough on its own. <laughs> as, you, as you hear what is going on in the story, I think you'll be able to follow along just fine. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 27. And it, we're going to just read verses 1 through 41. And as we do so, be paying attention. Who are the people we're talking about? What are the situations? What are the circumstances? Uh, be listening to this story and uh, then we'll have some questions afterwards. Make sure we're understanding what we're reading. Genesis chapter 27 um, begins this way. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to, his, to Rebekah, his mother, but... My brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. 
He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you were able to follow along, but just in case, we have a family of four here that we're talking about. Isaac is the father, Rebecca is the mother, and they have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And, uh, and we have seen this family before a few times because Isaac is actually the son of Abraham. And we have seen uh, the ways that, uh, that his whole life has been this continuation of the promises that God has made to his father, Abraham. And we have seen the ways that he, and we looked at last week, the ways that he was even re- following in his father's footsteps, repeating some of the same mistakes that his father made. 
But now Isaac is old, and he is uh, he knows that death is probably not far off, and so he is going to bless his firstborn son. And this is where the whole story takes this weird twist, right? You've probably heard this story before. You've probably heard it a lot. Um, and if you're like me, the thing that you tend to pay attention to is, my goodness, how hairy is Esau that he feels like a goat, right? That's what I, anyway. Jacob puts on goat skin and his dad's like, yep, feels like my son. <laughs> Have you felt a goat? <laughs> anyway, that's, that's where my brain goes first. But apparently there's more to the story than just that. <laughs> and it gets us back to one of the things that we keep talking about of, um, of the Bible depicting the people who are, are in the Bible, they are in the line of the promise of God, etc., etc., and it keeps depicting them doing things that we're like, what are you doing? I mean, think about this. When you read the story, when you hear this story uh, kind of played out in front of you and you're picturing all the family dynamics, etc., is Jacob right to do what he's doing? Is that how it hits you? I hope not. I, I don't think it's written that way. I think it's written very much where you are supposed to hear Esau's bitter cry when he has been just completely stabbed in the back by his own brother. And you're supposed to go, yeah, who would do that? That's terrible, right? That's how we're supposed to respond. And yet, the person that we're talking about is Jacob. And I don't know if you remember our call to worship earlier, but in Psalm 46, we talked about how, you know, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What? Are we talking about the same Jacob? Yeah. And so we, and we find ourselves sometimes when we're looking back at these people in the Bible and we go, okay, this is, this is Jacob. Like Jacob, Jacob. He's the one who... Uh, he grows up and he has 12 sons and he gets his name changed to Israel. And so this is like, he is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He's the one that the whole nation gets named after. He's the one through whom the promise comes that all uh, the peoples of the world will be blessed through him and his family. And when we start thinking about all that, we start finding ourselves tempted to go, well, then he must have been doing right. Maybe I just misunderstood. Maybe what he actually did here was the right thing to do. I mean, after all, wasn't there a promise before he was even born? When he was still uh, in the womb and his mom, Rebecca, goes to God and is saying, why is this happening to me? And the Lord said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from within you will be separated. Uh, one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Well, Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger, and so, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be. By the way, that was in Genesis 25, 23. Um, and so maybe Jacob's aware of that. Maybe he knows that this is the promise from before he was ever born, and so this is really, the blessing should be his, and so he's just going to go get it. Or maybe you know, he's really, he's obeying his mom. It's a good thing to obey your mom. 
He even says to her when she first uh, hatches this plan and says, hey, why don't you dress up like your brother and go uh, in and get the blessing from your dad? And he, he pushes back a little bit and he says, um, my brother Esau is a hairy man. There it is again. Uh, while I have smooth skin, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. You know why it would appear to be tricking him, Jacob? <laughs> Because that is your full intention, (laughs) is to trick him. But we can look at this and say, okay, he's pushing back on it. He doesn't really want to do it. He's just going along with what his mom says. He's obeying her, and that's what we're supposed to do is obey our parents. And really, the blessing is supposed to be his anyway. So we can get ourselves into a situation where we're like trying to justify him and his actions, even though there's kind of that gut reaction when we read through the story that you're like, yeah, that's not good. (laughs) What he's doing is not good. Do you ever feel that tension? Where there is something uh, either of somebody else or maybe of your own self, where you know the difference between right and wrong, and yet what you want to do (laughs) isn't the right but is the wrong, and so you start trying to figure out reasons why the wrong might be right after all. Do you ever feel that tension? Proverbs 16, 2 all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. We are really, really good at fooling ourselves, at, uh, at finding ways to make our actions, our attitude, etc., look like the right thing to do if you just look at it from this one carefully constructed angle. <laughs> no, we don't need to look at it from any other angles. This is the one we're going to look at it through, right? This is the way we're going to view it because from this perspective, I'm in the right. And I can imagine Jacob was probably doing some of the same kind of thing. He knows it's wrong. He knows it. And yet, he goes through with it for whatever reasons he's come up with. Um, I would appear to be tricking him. Mm Mm-hmm. He sure would. And when we, um, and when we hear this, we also need to be very careful Because when I talk about this tendency that people have to view things only from a certain angle so it looks like what is wrong is right to them, it's very easy for us in whatever disagreements we may be having with people these days to have somebody spring to our mind and we're like, oh my goodness, that is so what they do. (laughs) They're all the time doing exactly that. They know better, but they're they're twisting it just enough so that it looks right from that angle and then they're trying to convince everybody that's right. It's not right. They know better. Here's the problem. While this does apply to everyone, it is not our job to apply it to everyone. This goes back to what Jesus says about the whole speck and plank thing. Remember that? Why, 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank from your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we immediately jump to somebody else, we are reading the Bible in a way that is self-justifying. We are reading the Bible in a way that says, I'm getting it right, it's other people who are getting it wrong, and see, the Bible tells me so. If we are reading the Bible like that, there should be, every time you find yourself doing that, there should be big alarm sirens, bells going off in your head. Because when you're reading the Bible to see how other people are getting it wrong, you're in grave danger of missing the gospel of missing the good news of Jesus for yourself and even for others. We've got to be careful about this. And so, I say again, with Jacob uh, in this situation, we wonder why this would be included in the story. Why do we consistently see this pattern of the people that God chooses to use doing things that aren't good to do? Why do we keep seeing that? And it goes back to what we talked about uh, before the prayer of confession. That God alone is the one worthy of our praise. That he alone is good. Somebody comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. Good point. A lot of times people uh, look at the New Testament and say, in the New Testament, that's where we are told that we are saved by grace through faith. It's just a gift of God, right? Not by works that no one can boast. Ephesians 2. But in the Old Testament, that was when people had to earn it. Not true. The reason that we keep seeing this sort of uh, pattern of the people who are chosen by God, the people through whom his blessing is going to come to the whole world, and we see them just mess up again and again, sometimes on accident, oftentimes on purpose, doing what they know is not the right thing to do, I think the reason that we see this pattern over and over again is that we can see that from start to finish, God is a God of grace. That these are people who are chosen by grace. That it is by grace that he is going to walk with them, that he is going to be their God, that they are to be his people. That they are to respond in faith. And so when we read this story, we don't have to justify Jacob. And say, well, maybe it was really right, because after all, God's not going to use somebody who does wrong things, is he? Well, I sure hope he is. <laughs> right? It's not the only hope we have. And so this is, this is not something where we need to whitewash Jacob and make it look as though he's done good. And now that we understand that, we can see what's really going on in this pattern. When we get to this point in the story, we have seen Abraham, we have seen Isaac, 
And now we're seeing Jacob. We saw the ways that Isaac was repeating the mistakes of his father. And now we're looking at Jacob, and we actually see this contrast, this kind of a biblical contrast between uh, when I'm talking about the hairy skin thing, not letting that go. We're going to keep going on that. With Esau being so hairy and Jacob not, there is, uh, I do think that we're supposed to pick up on this, and this is something I've heard from others as well, that there's supposed to be this, this contrast in our minds between beasts and humans, which, if you're paying attention, that theme goes all the way through the Bible as well. And so when Esau is described as being hairy, it's not just because he was hairy, which I'm sure he was, <laughs> but it is supposed to uh, pick up for us this uh, connection with an animal-like hairiness. Like that's what's going on here. Um, very, very few times in the Bible do we ever hear what somebody actually looks like. And when we do, it seems to matter. <laughs> and this is one of those where the difference between what their uh, skin is like seems to be calling to mind this difference between people and animals. But here's the, uh, the crazy part about it. Is we expect then that it's going to be Esau who acts like a beast. And he kind of does. We saw in a story a couple weeks ago of him coming in and he's been out hunting and he's uh, hungry when he comes in and it's just, give me right now, let me eat. There's no thought to the future and you're like, yeah, that's what animals do. You just kind of, I'm after my food and what can I do to get it and get it as quickly as possible and there you go. Whereas Jacob seems to be the one that's, you know, planning and thinking longer term. And you're like, okay, okay, that's not good what he's doing there. But I see that maybe there's a distinction there. So you think that might be the way the story goes. Esau is going to be the animal. Jacob's going to be the human. And then we get this story. You get this story where Jacob wraps himself in the skin of an animal. And then he acts like a beast. Instead of being um, someone who is trusting God and his ways to bring about the blessing that he has promised, we see Jacob doing what Abraham and Sarah did when God had made a promise to them. And they're like, well, I'm just going to make that happen on my own. Nope, that's not how to do that. But we also see Jacob doing not what his father Abraham did, but what the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. We're told the serpent talks to uh, Eve, most likely Adam there as well, and deceives them. He pretends like he is on their side, that he's looking out for their good. He is not. And when... They then eat the fruit. It says that their eyes were opened. Interesting. Almost as though in some sense they couldn't see before. That in some sense they were blind before. And so we have hmm, an animal deceiving someone who's blind. And then we get to this story and we see Jacob dressed as an animal deceiving someone who's blind. I think when we start seeing the patterns this way, it gets a lot harder to justify what Jacob's doing. <laughs> so the question then, if God had promised the blessing for Jacob, 
is how would this have worked out if Jacob had just trusted God? And the answer to that is, we don't know. We have no idea how it would have gone. There's actually a, uh, a place in the Chronicles of Narnia where uh, the lion Aslan says something to that effect of uh, when somebody asks the, what would have happened if, and he's like, no one has ever told what would have happened. It's so frustrating. <laughs> what we do know is that God had already made a promise to bless the whole world through Abraham and his descendants. And we know that that's going to come through Isaac. And we knew before Jacob was ever born, it was going to come through Jacob. How would he have done it if Jacob had just trusted God? Don't know. But God keeps his promises. And a lot of times we find ourselves in a situation like Jacob where it's like, oh, well, I don't know how God's going to do this. So I better just get out there and do something wrong, but, you know, it's for the right reason. No. (laughs) We may not know how it's going to work out, but we're not always told how it's going to work out. What we're told is that it will work out and how we are to live in the meantime. And the question is, do we trust it? There is more as it relates to Esau, the blessing why does Isaac only give one decent blessing? Um, I'll leave you to think on that. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to. But I think we're going to end here. Uh, just thinking on what it looks like for us uh, to trust God and the promises that he has made. The first hymn that we sang was uh, How Firm a Foundation. And I love that hymn, because the first line is saying, you know, what a firm foundation we have in the promises that God has made, in his word. And then the next three lines are the promises, some of them anyway, the promises that God has made. And so if you've already forgotten what words you sang, you can look that back up. That's in uh, your hymnal number 408. And just read through some of the things that God has promised that we can trust him in. And so we don't need to act like beasts ourselves, scheming and deceiving those around us to try to get our own advantage or somehow scheme a blessing. We don't need to. We are free from all that. In Christ, we are free from all of that. And we can live as those... uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. You hear this? We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. Wherever you go this week, whoever you're interacting with, May that also be true of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.